0: Chapter 6. How is it possible to be content? We are exhorted to labor for contentment. It is what beautifies Christians and makes them glow. As a spiritual embroidery, it sets them off in the eyes of the world. But I suppose some will bitterly complain and say to me, But how is it possible to be content? The Lord hath made my chain heavy. Lamentations 3.7 he has cast me into a very sad condition. Sin always labors to hide itself under some mask, or, if it cannot be concealed, to vindicate itself by some excuse. I find this sin of discontent to be very witty in its apologies. I will first disclose these excuses and then make a reply. We must establish as a rule that discontent is a sin. All the pretenses and excuses by which it labors to justify itself are just the makeup and clothing of a harlot. The first excuse that discontent makes is this, I have lost a child. Paulina, on the loss of her children, was so possessed with a spirit of sadness that she came close to entombing herself in her own discontent. Our love for our relatives is often more than our love for religion. We must be content not only when God gives mercies, but also when He takes them away. If we must in everything give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, then in nothing be discontent. Perhaps God has taken away the cistern so that He may give you more of the spring. He has darkened the starlight so that you may have more sunlight. God intends for you to have more of Himself. Is He not better than ten suns? Look at it more as a spiritual gain than a temporal loss. The comforts of the world leave dregs, but those that come out of the granary of the promise are pure and sweet. Your child was not given to you, but loaned to you. Hannah said about her son, I have lent him to the Lord, First 1 Samuel 1.28. She lent him? The Lord loaned him to her. Mercies are not guaranteed to us, but loaned. What a man lends he may call for again whenever he pleases. God has given a child to you for a while, to nurse. Will you be displeased if he takes his child home again? Do not be discontent because a mercy was taken away from you, but rather be thankful that it was loaned to you for so long. Suppose your child was taken from you. He was either good or bad. If he was rebellious, you have not so much parted with a child as with a burden. You grieve for that which might have been a greater grief to you. If he was a believer, then remember that he is taken away from the evil to come Isaiah 57, 1, and placed in his center of happiness. This earth below is full of heavy and hurtful things that push us down. How happy are those who are mounted into the celestial spheres! the righteous are taken away. In the original it is, He is gathered. A wicked child is cut off, but the devoted child is gathered. Even as we see people gather flowers and enhance them to preserve them, so God has gathered your child as a sweet flower so that He may enhance him with glory and preserve him by him forever. Why then are Christians discontent? Why do they weep excessively? Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. Luke 23, 28. If we could hear our children speaking to us out of heaven, they would say, Weep not for us who are happy. We lie on a soft pillow, even in the bosom of Christ. The Prince of Peace is embracing us and kissing us with the kisses of His lips, so do not be troubled by our assent. Do not weep for us, but weep for yourselves who are in a sinful, sorrowful world. You are in the valley of tears, but we are on the mountain of spices. We have gotten to our harbor, but you are still tossing on the waves of inconstancy. O Christian, do not be discontent that you have parted with such a child, but rather rejoice that you had such a child to part with. Break out in thankfulness. What an honour it is to parent a child who while he lives increases the joy of the glorified angels Luke 15:10 and when he dies increases the number of the glorified saints If God has taken away one of your children he has left you more He might have stripped you of everything He took away Job's comforts his estate and his children His wife was left but as a cross Satan made a bow of this rib as Chrysostom said and shot a temptation by her at Job, thinking he shot him in the heart. Curse God and die! But Job had on the breastplate of integrity, and though his children were taken away, his graces were not. Still he was content, still he blessed God. Think how many mercies you still enjoy, yet your vile hearts are more discontent at one loss than thankful for a hundred mercies. God has plucked one bunch of grapes from you, But there are so many precious clusters left behind. You may object, but he was my only child, the staff of my old age, the seed of my strength, and the only blossom out of which my ancient family grew. But if you belong to him, God has promised you a name better than of sons and of daughters. Isaiah 56, 5. Is he dead who should have been the monument to have kept up the name of a family? God has given you a new name. He has written your name in the book of life. Here is your spiritual heraldry. Here is a name that cannot be cut off. Has God taken away your only child? He has given you his only son. This is a joyous exchange. He who has Christ has no need to complain of losses. He is his Father's brightness, Hebrews 1, 3, his riches, Colossians 2, and his delight, Isaiah 42, 1. Is there enough in Christ to delight the heart of God, but not enough to carry us away with holy delight? He is wisdom to teach us, righteousness to acquit us, and sanctification to adorn us. He is that royal and princely gift. He is the bread of angels, and the joy and triumph of saints. He is all and in all. Colossians 3.11. Why then are you dissatisfied? Even though you lost your child? You have him for whom all things are loss, Philippians 3:8. Last, we should be ashamed to allow nature to outstrip grace. Pulvillus, a heathen, was about to consecrate a temple to Jupiter when news was brought to him of the death of his son. He did not stop his part in the ceremony, but with much composure of mind gave orders for the decent burial of his son. The second excuse that discontent makes is. A great part of my estate unexpectedly melted away, and my business is beginning to fail. God is pleased sometimes to bring His children very low and take away their money and possessions. Their experience is the same as with that widow who had nothing in her house except a pot of oil, 2 Kings 4.2, but they are still to be content. God has taken away your estate, but not your portion. This is a sacred paradox honor and great possessions are not part of a christian's estate they are luxuries not essentials they are from outside and foreign therefore you cannot call someone who loses them miserable the portion still remains the lord is my portion saith my soul lamentations 3:24 suppose someone was worth millions of dollars and by chance loses a pin off his shirt This is not part of his estate, and we cannot say he is undone. The loss of earthly comforts is not as much to a Christian's portion as the loss of a pin is to millions. These things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6.33. They will be thrown in as surplus. When someone buys a piece of cloth, he has an inch or two added to the measurement, so that even if he loses his inch of cloth, he is not undone, for the whole piece remains our outward estate is not so much in regard to the portion as an inch of cloth is to the whole piece. So why, then, should a Christian be discontent when the title to his spiritual treasure remains? A thief may take away all the money that I have, but he cannot take my land. A Christian still holds a title to the land of promise. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Luke 10.42. Perhaps if your estate had not been lost, your soul would have been lost. Outward comforts often quench inward passion. God can give a jewel to us, but we fall so in love with the jewel that we forget Him who gave it. What a pity it is that we would commit idolatry with the creature! God is sometimes forced to drain away an estate. The silver and the jewels are often cast overboard to save the passenger. Many may curse the time that they ever had such an estate. It was an enchantment to draw away their hearts from God. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. 1 Timothy six nine. Are you troubled because God has prevented you from falling into a trap? Riches are thorns. Matthew thirteen seven. Are you angry because God has pulled a thorn away from you? Riches are compared to thick clay. Habakkuk 2, 6. Perhaps your desires, which are the feet of the soul, might have been so firmly stuck in this golden clay that they could not have ascended up to heaven. Be content. If God dams up our outward comforts, it is so that the stream of our love may run faster another way. God can bless even your few possessions. It's not how much money we have, but how much blessing. He who often curses the bags of gold can bless the meal in the barrel and the oil in the bottle. Even if you do not have a life of plenty and luxury, you do have a promise. I will abundantly bless her provision. Psalm 132.15. Then a little goes a great way. Be content that you have the distilled dew of a blessing and a dinner of green herbs. It is sweet wherever love is. I may add, where the love of God is. Another may have more assets than you, but more concerns, more riches, but less rest, more revenue, but more need to spend. He has a greater inheritance, yet perhaps God giveth him not power to eat thereof. Ecclesiastes 6 2. He has the dominion of his estate, but not the use. He holds more, but enjoys less in a word, you have less gold than he has, but perhaps less guilt. Your spiritual life has never flourished so well, and your heart has never been so humble as it has been since you have been in your lowly condition. You were never so poor in spirit, never so rich in faith. You have never run so fast in the ways of God's commandments as you have since some of your golden weights were taken off. You never had such dealings with heaven in all your life, this is most abundant gain. You never made such adventures on the promise as you have since you left your sea adventures. This is the best kind of merchandise. Oh, Christian, you have never had such incomes of the Spirit, such spring tides of joy. What does it matter if you are weak in a state, if you are strong in assurance? Be content. What you have lost one way, you have gained in another. Whatever your losses of this kind may be, remember that in every loss there is only suffering, but in every discontent there is sin, and one sin is worse than a thousand sufferings. Because some of my revenue is gone, will I part with some of my righteousness? Will my faith and patience go too? Because I do not possess an estate, should I not possess my own spirit? Oh, learn to be content! A third excuse that discontent gives is, My family causes me sorrow and pain. Where I should find the most comfort, there I have the most grief. This objection branches itself into two particulars, and I will give each a distinct reply. The first is, My child goes on in rebellion. I fear I have produced a child for the devil. It is indeed sad to think that hell would be paved with the skulls of any of our children and certainly the pangs of grief a mother may have of this kind are worse than her pangs of childbirth. But though you ought to be humbled, do not be discontent, for you may glean something from your child's unrighteousness. The child's sin is sometimes the parent's sermon. The unfaithfulness of children to us may be a reminder for us of our past unfaithfulness to God. There was a time when we were rebellious children. How long did our hearts stand out as garrisons against God how long did he talk with us and plead with us before we would yield he walked in the tenderness of his heart toward us but we walked in the obstinance of our hearts toward him since grace has been planted in our souls how much of the wild olive is still in us romans 11:17 how many motions of the spirit do we daily resist how many unkindnesses and affronts have we put on christ let this open a spring of repentance. Look on your child's rebellion and mourn for your own. Though to see him unfaithful is your grief, it is not always your sin. Have you given the child not only the milk of the breast, but also the sincere milk of the word? 1 Peter 2 2. Have you seasoned his tender years with religious education? You can do no more. Parents can only work knowledge. God must work grace. They can only lay the wood together. It is God who must make it burn. A parent can only be a guide to show his child the way to heaven. The Spirit of God must be a magnet to draw his heart into that way. Jacob asked Rachel, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Genesis thirty, two. Can I give children? So, is a parent in God's place to give grace? Who can help it if a child has the light of conscience, Scripture, and education, these three torches in his hand, yet runs willfully into the deep ponds of sin? Weep for your child, pray for him, but do not sin for him by discontent. Do not say you have given birth to a child for the devil. God can lead him back from error. He has promised to turn the heart of the children to their fathers Malachi 4, 6, and to open springs of grace in the desert. Isaiah 35, 6. When your child is going full sail to the devil, God can blow with an opposing wind of his spirit and alter his course. When Paul was breathing out persecution against the saints and was sailing toward hell, God turned him another way. Before, he was headed to Damascus, but God sent him to Ananias. Before, he was a persecutor, now he was a preacher. Though our children are, for the present time, fallen into the devil's pond, God can turn them from the power of Satan and bring them at the eleventh hour. Monica wept for her son Augustine. At last God answered her prayers, and Augustine became a famous instrument in the church of God. The second branch of the objection is, My husband is an evil man. Where I looked for honey I found only a sting. It is sad to have the living and the dead tied together, but do not let your heart fret with discontent. Mourn for his sins, but do not murmur. God has placed you in your relationships, and you cannot be discontent unless you find fault with God. Should we call the infinite wisdom of God into question every time some cross befalls us? Oh, the blasphemy of our hearts! God can make you profit by your husband's sin. Perhaps you would never have been so good if he had not been so bad. The fire burns hottest in the coldest climate. God often turns the sins of others to our good and makes our maladies our medicines. The more profane the husband is, often the more holy the wife grows. The more earthly he is, the more heavenly she becomes. God sometimes makes the husband's sin a spur to the wife's grace. His exorbitances are as a pair of bellows to blow up the flame of her zeal and devotion even more. Is it not true? Does not your husband's wickedness send you to prayer? Perhaps you would not have prayed so much if he hadn't sinned so much. His deadness makes you more alive. The stone of his heart is a hammer to break your heart. The apostle said, "The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband." 1 Corinthians 7:14 but in this sense the believing wife is sanctified by the unbelieving husband she grows better his sin sharpens her grace and is a medicine for her complacency the fourth excuse discontent makes is my friends have been very unkind to me and have proven themselves to be false friends it is sad when a friend proves to be like a brook in summer job 6:15 the traveller parched with heat comes to the brook, hoping to refresh himself, but the brook is dried up. Yet be content. You are not alone. Other saints have been betrayed by friends. When they have leaned on them, they have been as a foot out of joint. This was true in the type, David It was not an enemy that reproached me, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. Psalm fifty five, twelve to fourteen and in the antitype, Christ, he was betrayed by a friend. Why should we think it strange to have the same measure dealt out to us as Jesus Christ had? The disciple is not above his master, Matthew ten twenty four. A Christian may often see his own sin in his punishment. Has he not dealt treacherously with God? How often has he grieved the Comforter, broken his vows, and through unbelief sided with Satan against God? How often has he abused love, taken the jewels of God's mercies and made a golden calf of them, serving his own lusts? How often did he make the free grace of God, which could have been a bolt to keep out sin, a key to open the door to it? The Lord received these wounds in the house of his friends. Zechariah 13:6. Look on the unkindness of your friend and mourn for your own unkindness against God. Should a Christian condemn in another that which he has been guilty of himself? Has your friend shown himself to be treacherous? Perhaps you placed too much confidence in him. If you lay more weight on a house than the pillars will bear, it will break. God said, Trust ye not in a friend. Micah 7, 5. Perhaps you put more trust in your friend than you dared to put in God. Friends are like Venetian glasses we may use them but if we lean too hard on them they will break it may be a matter of humility but not of sullenness and discontent you have a friend in heaven who will never fail you solomon said there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother proverbs 18:24 god is such a friend he is very studious and inquisitive on our behalf he debates with himself consulting and projecting how he may do us good he is the best friend who may give contentment in the midst of all the incivility of friends. Consider. 1. He is a loving friend. God is love. 1 John 4:16. He has said, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49:16, so that we may never be out of his eye and he carries us in his bosom. Isaiah 40:11, near to his heart. There is no stop or break in His love, but, as the river Nile, it overflows all the banks. His love is as far beyond our thoughts as it is above what we deserve. Oh, the infinite love of God in giving the Son of His love to be made flesh, which was more than if all the angels had been made worms! God, in giving Christ to us, gave His very heart to us, here is love pencilled out in all its glory, and engraved as with the point of a diamond, Jeremiah seventeen one All other love is fickle in comparison to the love of our friend. Two He is a caring friend, he careth for you, 1 Peter five seven. He regards and transacts our business as his own. He counts his people's interests and concerns as his interest. He provides for us, grace to enrich us, glory to ennoble us. It was David's complaint, No man cared for my soul, Psalm 142, 4. A Christian has a friend who cares for him. 3. He is a prudent friend. Wisdom and might are his, Daniel 2:20. A friend may sometimes err through ignorance or mistake and give his friend poison instead of sugar. But God is wise in heart, Job 9, four. He is skillful as well as faithful. He knows what our disease is and what medicine is best to apply. He knows what will do us good and what wind will be best to carry us to heaven. For he is a faithful friend, and he is faithful in his promises. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised, Titus 1:2. God's people are children that will not lie Isaiah 63, 8. but God is a God who cannot lie. He will not deceive the faith of His people. He cannot. He is called the truth John 14, 6. He can as well cease to be God as cease to be true. The Lord may sometimes change His promise, as when He converts a material promise into a spiritual promise, but He can never break His promise. 5. He is a compassionate friend. We read in Scripture of the yearning of his heart Jeremiah 31, 20. God's friendship is nothing else but compassion, for there is naturally no inclination in us to desire his friendship, nor no goodness in us to deserve it. The attraction is in himself. When we were full of blood, he was full of compassion. When we were enemies, he sent an ambassador of peace. When our hearts were turned back from God his heart was turned toward us oh the tenderness and sympathy of our friend in heaven we ourselves have some compassion to those who are in misery but it is god who produces all the mercies and compassion that are in us therefore he is called the father of mercies 2 corinthians 1:3 and 6 he is a constant friend his compassions fail not Lamentations three twenty two. In adversity, friends often drop off as leaves in autumn. These are flatterers more than friends. Joab was for a time faithful to King David's house. He did not follow in Absalom's treason, but in a while proved false to the crown and supported the treason of Adonijah. 1 Kings one seven. God is a friend forever, having loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. John thirteen, one. What does it matter if others despise me? God loves me. What if my friends cast me off? God loves me. He loves to the end, and there is no end of that love. I would think that in cases of incivility and unkindness, this is enough to charm down discontent. The fifth excuse is I am rebuked and criticized often. Don't let this discontent you because it is a sign there is some good in you. Socrates asked, what evil have I done that this bad man praises me? The applause of the wicked usually denotes some evil, and their censure indicates some good. Psalm 38:20. David wept and fasted, and that was turned to his reproach. Psalm 69:10. As we must pass to heaven through the spikes of suffering, so we must also go through the clouds of reproach. If your rebuke is for God, as David's was for thy sake, I have borne reproach psalm sixty nine seven then it is a matter of triumph, not dejection. When you are reproached, Christ does not say to be discontent, but to rejoice and be exceeding glad matthew five twelve Wear your reproach as a diadem of honor. For now a spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. 1 Peter 4.14. Put your reproaches into the inventory of your riches. Moses did. Hebrews 11.26. It should be a Christian's ambition to wear his Savior's uniform even though it is sprinkled with blood and sullied with disgrace. God will use reproach to do good things for us. As David of Shimei's cursing, it may be that the Lord will requite me good for His cursing this day. 2 Samuel sixteen twelve. It gets us to search for our sin. A child of God labors to read His sin in every stone of reproach that is cast at him, and we also now have an opportunity to exercise patience and humility. Jesus Christ was content to be reproached by us. He despised the shame of the cross Hebrews 12:2 It may amaze us to think that he who was God could endure to be spit on to be mockingly crowned with thorns and when he was ready to bow his head on the cross to have the Jews scornfully wag their heads and say he saved others himself he cannot save Matthew 27:42 The shame of the cross was as damaging as the blood of the cross His name was crucified before His body. The sharp arrows of reproach that the world shot at Christ went deeper into His heart than the spear. His suffering was so humiliating that it was as if the sun blushed to look, withdrew its bright beams, and masked itself with a cloud, as it should when the sun of righteousness was in an eclipse. All this contempt and reproach the God of glory endured, or rather despised, and counted it as nothing for us. Be content to have your names eclipsed for Christ. Do not let reproach lie at your hearts. Instead, bind it as a crown around your heads. What is reproach? It is just a bullet. How will you stand at the mouth of a cannon? Those who are discontented by reproach will be offended by a match. Are not many men content to suffer reproach for clinging to their lust? should we not be content to suffer reproach for clinging to the truth? Some glory in that which is their shame. Philippians 3.19. Will we be ashamed of that which is our glory? Do not be troubled by these petty things. Those whose hearts are once divinely touched with the unavoidable attraction of God's Spirit, count it their honor to be dishonored for Christ, Acts 5.41, and despise the world's censure, As much as they do its praise. We live in an age in which people dare to reproach God Himself. The divinity of the Son of God is blasphemously reproached by the Socinian. The blessed Bible is reproached by those who deny its truth, authority, and infallibility as if it were but a legend of lies and every man's faith a fable. The justice of God is called to the bar of reason by the Armenians. The wisdom of God's providence is taxed by the atheist. The ordinances of God are decried by the familists as being too heavy a burden for a free-born conscience, and too low and carnal for a sublime angelic spirit. The ways of God, which have the majesty of holiness shining in them, are slandered by the profane. The mouths of men are open against God, as if he were a hard master, and the path of religion too strict and severe. If men cannot give god a good word should we be discontented or troubled that they speak harshly of us for those who labor to bury the glory of religion should we be surprised that their throat is an open sepulcher Romans 3:13 to bury our good name oh be content while we are in god's scrub house to have our names sullied a little the blacker we seem to be here the brighter we will shine When God has set us on the celestial shelf. The sixth excuse that discontent makes is disrespect in the world. I don't have the esteem from people that is equal to my quality and grace. Does this trouble you? The world is an unequal judge, as it is full of change, it is full of partiality. The world gives her respects and her promotions, often more by favour than by merit. Do you have the ground of real worth in you? That is the best worth that is in him that has it. Honour is in him that gives it. It is better to deserve respect and not have it than to have it and not deserve it. Do you have God's grace? God respects you, and his judgment is best worth prizing. A believer is a person of honour, being born of God. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable. And I have loved thee, Isaiah forty three four. Let the world think what they will of you. In their eyes, you may be a castaway, but in God's eyes, you are a dove, Song of Solomon two fourteen, a spouse, Song of Solomon five one, and a jewel, Malachi three seventeen. Others consider you the filth of the world, First Corinthians four thirteen but God will give you whole kingdoms for your ransom. Isaiah 43.3 No matter how the crooked world looks at you, if God thinks well of you, be content. It is better that God approve than man applaud. The world may put us in their rubric, but God put us in His black book. How are you better off if your fellow prisoners commend you, but your judge condemns you? Labor to stay close to God, prize His love. Let my fellow subjects frown. I am content. I am a favorite of the King of Heaven. If you are a child of God, you must expect disrespect. A believer is in the world, but not of the world. John seventeen fourteen to sixteen. We are here as pilgrims, out of our own country. Therefore, we must not look for the respect and applause of the world. It is enough that we will have honour in our own country. Hebrews 13, 14. It is dangerous to be the world's favourite. Discontent arising from disrespect delights too much in pride. Humble Christians have a lower opinion of themselves than others can have of them. He who is consumed with the thoughts of his sins and how he has provoked God cries out as agur, I am more brutish than any man. Proverbs 30, and is content even though he is set with the dogs of my flock, Job 30, 1. Though he is low in the thoughts of others, he is thankful that he is not laid in the lowest hell, Psalm 86, 13. A proud man sets a high value on himself and is angry with others because they will not come up to his price. Beware of pride. If others could see right into your heart, Or if your heart stood where your face does, you would be surprised to have so much respect. The seventh excuse is I suffer greatly for the truth. But consider this your sufferings are not so great as your sins. Put these two in the balance and see which weighs heaviest. Where sin lies heavy, sufferings lie light. A carnal spirit makes more of his sufferings and less of his sins he looks on one at the great end of the perspective, but on the other at the little end of the perspective. The carnal heart cries out, Take away the frogs, Exodus 8, 8. But a heart changed by grace cries out, Take away the iniquity, 2 Samuel 24, 10. The one says, No one has ever suffered as I have, but the other says, Never has anyone sinned as I have, Micah 7, 9. Are you suffering? Then you have an opportunity to show the valour and constancy of your mind. Some of God's saints would have considered it a great favour to have been honoured with martyrdom. One said, I am in prison till I be in prison. You count as a trouble what others would have worn as a badge of their glory. Even those who have lived only by moral principles have shown great constancy and contentment in their sufferings. In response to an oracle, Curtius, bravely mounted on a horse and in full armor, threw himself into a great gulf, so that the city of Rome might be delivered from the pestilence. Will not we, who have a divine oracle stating that they who kill the body cannot hurt the soul, with much constancy and patience devote ourselves to injury and insult for religion, and suffer for the truth rather than have the truth suffer for us? The Decii, among the Romans, vowed themselves to death, so that their legions and soldiers might be crowned with the honor of the victory. Oh, what we should be content to suffer to make the truth victorious! Regulus swore that he would return to Carthage even though he knew there was a furnace heating for him there. He ventured to go, daring not to break his oath. We then, who are Christians having made a vow to Christ in baptism, so often renewed in the blessed sacrament, should, with much contentment, choose to suffer rather than violate our sacred oath. The blessed martyrs, with courage and cheerfulness, yielded their souls to God, and when the fire was set to their bodies, their spirits were not at all fired with rage or discontent. Though others hurt the body, do not let them hurt your mind through discontent. Show by your heroic courage that you are above those troubles that you cannot be without. The eighth excuse discontent makes is the prosperity of the wicked. I admit that it may sometimes appear that the evil enjoy all the good, and the good endure all the evil. David, though a good man, stumbled at this and almost fell. Psalm 73, 2. Well, Be content. Remember that these are not the only things, nor the best things. They are mercies beyond the pale. They are just acorns with which God feeds swine. You who are believers have much better fruit, the olive, the pomegranate, the fruit that grows on the true vine, Jesus Christ. Others have the fat of the earth. You have the dew of heaven. They have a choice land, You have springs of living water that are made pure and clear with Christ's blood, and made sweet with His love. To see the wicked flourish is a matter of pity rather than envy. It is all the heaven that they will have. Woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Luke 6.24. So it was that David made his solemn prayer, Deliver my soul from the wicked. O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. Psalm 17, 13-14 The words, it seems to me, are David's prayer, From men of the world which have their portion in this life, good Lord, deliver me. When the wicked have eaten of their dainty dishes, there comes a sad reckoning, which will spoil all. The world is first musical and then tragic. If a man is going to fry and blaze in hell, let him have enough of the fat of the earth. Remember, for every sand of mercy that runs out to the wicked, God puts a drop of wrath into his vial. As the soldier said to his fellow, Do you envy my grapes? They cost me dearly, I must die for them. So I say to you, Do you envy the wicked? Their prosperity is like Haman's banquet before execution. Esther six to seven If a man were to be hanged, would you envy him walking to the gallows through pleasant fields and fine galleries or going up the ladder in clothes of gold? The wicked may flourish in their bravery for a little while, but when they flourish as the grass, it is that they shall be destroyed for ever. Psalm ninety two seven. The proud grass will be mown down. Whatever a sinner enjoys, he has a curse with it. Malachi 2, 2. Will we envy? What if poisoned bread is given to dogs? The long furrows in the backs of the godly have a seed of blessing in them, but the table of the wicked becomes a snare, and their honor is their downfall. A ninth excuse discontent makes for itself is the evil of the times. The times are full of heresy and impiety, and this troubles me. This excuse consists of two branches. The first branch is that the times are full of heresy. This is indeed sad. When the devil cannot destroy the church by violence, he tries to poison it. When he cannot, with Samson's foxtails, set the corn on fire, Judges 15, 4 5, then he plants tares, Matthew 13, 24 43. As he labours to destroy the peace of the church by division, he works to destroy the truth of it by error. We may cry out that we live in a time in which there is a channel open to all new and unusual opinions, and every man's opinion is his Bible. Well, this may make us mourn, but let us not murmur through discontent. Consider that error makes a display of people. Error reveals bad people, those who are tainted and corrupt. When leprosy broke out on his forehead, the leper was revealed. Error is a spiritual bastard. The devil is the father, and pride is the mother. A person in error is always a proud person. Now, it is good that such people should be exposed, first, so that God's righteous judgment on them may be reverenced, and second, so that others who are free will not be infected. If a person has the plague, it is good that it is exposed. For my part, I would avoid a heretic, as I would avoid the devil, for he is sent on the devil's errand. I appeal to you, if there were a tavern in this city, where, under a pretense of selling wine, many casks of poison were to be sold, would it not be good that others know of it, so that they do not buy? It is good that those who have poisoned opinions should be revealed, so that the people of God may not come near either the scent or the taste of that poison. Error also is a standard to reveal good men. It tests the gold. There must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest 1 Corinthians 11, 19. Our love for Christ and zeal for truth will appear. God shows who are the living fish, those who swim against the stream, who are the sound sheep, those who feed in the green pastures of the ordinances, who are the doves those who live in the best air where the spirit breathes god sets a garland of honour on these these came out of great tribulation revelation 7:14 these are those who have opposed the errors of the times they have preserved the virginity of their conscience and have kept their judgment sound and their heart soft god will have a trophy of honour set on some of his saints they will be renowned for their sincerity being like the cypress, which keeps its greenness and freshness in the winter season. Do not be sinfully discontent, for God can make the errors of the church advantageous to truth. In this way, the truths of God have come to be more worked out and confirmed as it is in the law. If someone presents a false title to a piece of land, the true title has, in this way, been searched into, more, and confirmed. Some would never have studied so diligently to defend the truth by Scripture if others had not worked to overthrow it by false teaching. All the mists and fogs of error that have risen out of the bottomless pit have made the glorious sun of truth to shine so much brighter. If Arius and Sibelius had not broached their damnable error, the truth of those questions about the blessed Trinity would never have been so discussed and defended by Athanasius, Augustine, and others. If the devil had not brought in so much of his princely darkness, the champions for truth would never have run so fast to Scripture to light their lamps. God, with a wheel within a wheel, overrules these things wisely and turns them to the best. Truth is a heavenly plant that settles by shaking. God raises the price of His truth even more, The very shreds and filings of truth are revered. When there is much counterfeit metal abroad, we prize the true gold more. The pure wine of truth is never more precious than when unsound doctrines are tapped and vented. Error makes us more thankful to God for the jewel of truth. When you see another infected with the plague, how thankful are you that God has freed you from the infection? When we see others have leprosy in the head, how thankful are we to God that He has not given us over to believe a lie and so be damned. Even the error of the times is useful when it makes us more humble and thankful and brings us to adore the free grace of God who has kept us from drinking of that deadly poison. The second branch of the excuse that discontent makes is the defilement of the times. I live and converse among the profane. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Psalm 55, 6. It is sad to be mixed with the wicked. David said, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. Psalm one hundred nineteen one hundred fifty-eight. And Lot, who was a bright star in a dark night, was vexed or, as the word in the original may bear, wearied out with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Second Peter two, seven. He made the sins of Sodom spears to pierce his own soul. We ought, if there is any spark of divine love in us, to be very aware of the sins of others, and to have our hearts bleed for them. But don't break out into mourning and discontent, knowing that God in his providence has permitted it And surely not without some reasons. The Lord makes the wicked a hedge to defend the godly. The wise God often makes those who are wicked and peaceable a means to safeguard his people from those who are wicked and cruel. The king of Babylon took care of Jeremiah and gave special orders to look after him so that he lacked nothing. Jeremiah 39, 11 12. God sometimes makes brazen sinners to be brazen walls to defend his people. God intermingles the wicked with the godly so that the godly may be a means to save the wicked. The beauty of holiness has a magnetic force in it strong enough to allure and draw even the wicked. Sometimes God makes a believing husband a means to convert an unbelieving wife, and a believing wife a means to convert an unbelieving husband. What knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? 1 Corinthians 7.16. The godly living among the wicked, by their prudent advice and faithful example, have won them to embrace religion. If there were not some godly among the wicked, how likely would it be, without a miracle, that the wicked would be converted? Those who are now shining saints in heaven were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts Titus 3, 3. Paul was once a persecutor, Augustine once a Maniche, and Luther once a monk, but by the disciplined and holy behavior of the godly, they were all converted to the faith. The tenth excuse that discontent makes is inferior talents and gifts. I cannot discuss Christianity with the fluency nor pray with the elegancy that others do. Grace is beyond gifts. You are comparing your grace with another's gifts, but there is a vast difference. Grace without gifts is infinitely better than gifts without grace. In religion, the essentials are best. Gifts are a more extraneous and common work of the Spirit that also falls on reprobates. Grace is a more distinguishing work, and is a jewel hung only on the elect. Do you have the seed of God, the holy anointing? If so, then be content. You say that you cannot discuss with the fluency that others do. Experience in religion is beyond opinions, and impressions beyond expressions, Judas no doubt could present a learned discourse on Christ but the woman in the gospel who felt virtue coming out of Christ fared better Luke 8:47 a sanctified heart is better than a silver tongue there is as much difference between gifts and graces as between a tulip painted on the wall and one growing in the garden you say that you cannot pray with the same elegance that others do prayer is more a matter of the heart than the head in prayer it is not so much fluency that prevails as fervency james 5:16 and god is not so much taken with the elegance of speech as the effectiveness of the spirit humility is better than eloquence here the mourner is the orator sighs and groans are the best rhetoric do not be discontent God usually makes our talents suitable to the place to which He calls us. Some are set in a higher circle and function. Their place requires more talents and abilities, but the most inferior member is useful in his place and will have a power delegated for the place and position he is in. The eleventh excuse is the troubles of the church. My anxiety and discontent is not so much for me as for the public. The church of God suffers. I confess it is sad, and we ought to hang our harps upon the willows Psalm 2. He who is not aware of the state of the body is a wooden leg in Christ's body. A Christian must not be proud flesh, but neither should he be dead flesh. When the church of God suffers, he must sympathize. Jeremiah wept for the virgin daughter of Zion. Jeremiah 14.17. We must feel our brothers' hard bonds through our soft beds. In music, if one string is touched, all the rest sound. When God strikes on our brothers and sisters, our heart must sound like an harp. Isaiah 16.11. Be aware, but do not give way to discontent. Remember that God sits at the stern of His church. Psalm forty six five. Sometimes it is a ship afflicted and tossed on the waves Isaiah fifty four eleven, but God can bring the ship to a haven even though it encounters storms on the sea. The ship in the Gospels was tossed because sin was in it, but it was not overwhelmed because Christ was in it. Mark four thirty six to forty. Christ is in the ship of this church, so do not fear sinking the church's anchor is cast in heaven. Do we not think God loves His church and takes as much care of it as we could? The names of the twelve tribes were on Aaron's breast, signifying how near to God's heart His people are. They are His portion Deuteronomy 27, 9. Will that be lost? They are His glory Isaiah 46, 13. Will that be finally eclipsed? No, certainly not. God can deliver His church not only from, but also by opposition. The church's pangs will help forward her deliverance. God has always propagated religion by suffering. The foundation of the church was laid in blood, and these showers of blood have made it much more fruitful. Cain put the knife to Abel's throat. Ever since, the church's veins have bled, but she is like the vine which by pruning and bleeding grows, and like the palm tree, which the more weight is laid on it, the higher it rises. The holiness and patience of the saints under persecution have added much both to the growth of religion and the crown. Basil and Tertullian observed that many heathens, seeing the zeal and constancy of the early church martyrs, became Christians. Religion flourishes in spite of martyrdom. Isaiah was sawn in two, and Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Cyprian, bishop of Carthage, and Polycarp of Smyrna were both martyred for religion, yet at all times the truth has been sealed by blood and gloriously dispersed. Natiansen observed that the emperor Julian refrained from persecuting not out of pity, but out of envy, because the church grew so fast and multiplied. The twelfth excuse that discontent makes for itself is this. It's not my affliction that troubles me, but it is my sins that upset and discontent me. Make certain that is the case. Do not lie to God and to your own soul. Be sure you would still be in true mourning for sin even when the present suffering is removed. But suppose the excuse is real, that sin is the ground of your discontent. I answer that your unease about sin may be beyond its bounds in these three cases. 1. Your uneasiness may be inappropriate when it is disheartening, that is, when it sets up sin above mercy. If Israel had only reflected on their sting and not looked up to the brazen serpent, they would never have been healed. The sorrow for sin that drives us away from God is not without sin, for there is more despair in it than remorse. The soul has so many tears in its eyes that it cannot see Christ. Sorrow as sorrow does not save. That would be to make Christ of our tears. But it is useful, as it is preparatory in the soul, making sin vile and Christ precious. Oh, look up to the brazen serpent, the Lord Jesus! The sight of His blood will revive you. The bandage of His merits is broader than our soul. It is Satan's plan to keep us from seeing our sins, or, if we must see them, we are swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. 2 Corinthians 2 7. He wants to either keep us ignorant or frighten us, either keep the glass of the law from our eyes, or else write out our sins in such crimson colours that we may sink in the quicksand of despair. 2. When sorrow is indisposing, it untunes the heart for prayer. Meditation and Holy Communion. It cloisters up the soul. This is not sorrow, it is sullenness, and it makes a person cynical more than repentant. And three, sorrow is out of bounds when it is out of season. God made us to rejoice, but we hang up our harps on the willows. He tells us to trust, but we cast ourselves down and are brought to the edge of despair. If Satan cannot keep us from mourning, He will be sure to put us on it when it is least in season. When God calls us in a special manner to be thankful for mercy and to put on our white robes, Satan will be putting us into mourning and clothing us with a spirit of heaviness instead of a garment of praise. So God loses the acknowledgment of mercy, and we lose the comfort. If your sorrow has turned and fit you for Christ, if it has raised and strengthened your estimation of Him, Your hunger for him, and your sweet delight in him. This is as much as God requires. A Christian who agonizes and tortures himself further on the rack of his own discontent is only sinning. I hope I have answered the most material objections and excuses that this sin of discontent makes for itself. I see no reason why a Christian should be discontent, except for his discontent.